Mike, check. Mike, check. I've been told that we have to start, so I apologize. Uh, it, yeah, hang, I agree. Hanging out with your friends is way better than listening to me, I promise. We'll be, uh, you'll, you'll be there in about, you know, 15 minutes. You'll, you'll agree with me. Actually, I am kind of in a hurry because uh, I heard that we're getting wings tonight at... It's Kegler's? Kegler's? I don't know how to say it. How do you say it? Kegler? Keg Kegler's. Kegler's. I'm getting way different uh, pronunciations here. I'm from Texas. I don't do well with different ways you say things. Oh, thank you. My winky water. Yeah, I think that's what it's called. Okay, anyway. Hi, I'm Dryden. Uh, it's good to be here. Uh, hello, Ian. Good to see you. Um, so... Uh, John gave us that word right before our second song of worship, and essentially, I don't know if you knew what I was talking about, but it sounds like you did, because you literally just pretty much spoke it. So we really could be done right now, but <laughs> for the sake of obedience uh, and honoring uh, Jordan, I'm going to go ahead and continue. And I do enjoy the sound of my own voice, got to be honest with you guys. <laughs> just kidding. Okay, so Sam Houston, we, uh, we came here to be with you guys, to get some perspective on how you guys love Jesus, because we need it and also to help serve you and love you. So please, uh, the team that stood up, we would love to be kept up late hearing your story, hearing how you met Jesus, hearing what you're going through. We want to hang out with you guys, so please feel free to keep us up. Uh, there's no inconvenience. We kind of flew up here for that. So, uh, yeah. Okay, so I think it's kind of uh, odd that they asked me to speak um, since, simply because the caliber of leadership that you guys have. I, uh, I don't know if you're aware. You're probably not because, uh, you know, this is the first Chi Alpha for you guys. But they're pretty amazing. Um, I look at your team, and I look at what they've created here in such a short amount of time. I don't know if you guys know this, uh, but this kind of Chi Alpha growth is kind of unnormal unless the Holy Spirit and awesome leadership is involved. So all I have to say is you've got a pretty incredible team, and they could do uh, – a pretty good job talking to you about what we're going to talk about tonight. So anyway, let's all get disappointed together and listen to me talk. Uh, okay, uh, if it's okay, I kind of like to uh, introduce who I am so you're not like, who's this uh, weird Middle Eastern looking guy talking to me? Uh, so I'll just give you a little bit of my brother, dude. Airports, am I right? Dude, always, man. Oh, man. It's the worst. See, I had to start trimming because it was so bad. Anyway, uh, fun fact. You like that, Ariana? Was that funny? <coughs> Ariana, do you want to? No, okay, I want to embarrass you. I want to embarrass you. Okay, so uh, my name is Dryden, and I am not, uh, that's not my real name. It's the name that I was uh, given when I came to Sam, uh, which is kind of funny because we're kind of talking about Paul tonight, and I'm, please hear me, this is no, like, comparison between Dryden and Paul. That's not the, all I'm saying is my life changed and I got a new name. That's it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> So I came to Sam Houston, which is a little tiny school in Huntsville, and I say tiny because you guys are I, my new definition of big. Uh, well, I mean, I got A&M and UT, so those are pretty big schools, but um, I don't really like them. I, I like you guys, so I'm going to say that you guys are the definition of, your campus is awesome, and you guys are weirdly trusting. I was in that, that the Harry Potter room at uh, uh, the library, I don't know what it's called, but it's like you're not allowed to be, you're not allowed to talk or breathe, and you sit in those chairs, and it sounds like you're like ripping one every time you move, and I'm just like really uncomfortable. And anyway, I was there, and everybody, and I mean everybody, kept getting up to go to the bathroom, and they're leaving their MacBooks and their iPhones right there. I want you to know something: if you do that in Texas, those things are gone. They were gone. So I, I literally could have stolen so much stuff today, but it was uh, pretty awesome. Anyway, I, uh, I digress. I came to Sam uh, with the intent of. Uh, Oh, there it is. 
Look, that's our, uh, there's our idol. That is uh, General Sam Houston. He is the, uh, to- it's the tallest uh, statue of an American hero in America. So take that, Mountaineers. Uh, so every freshman is required every Wednesday to go, and before they go to classes at 8 a.m., they have to bow before him, and then... I'm just kidding. But it is really awkward. You can see him from 6.5 miles away. Like, he is huge. Those trees, those, are, those aren't little shrubs. Those are, well, those are shrubs right there in the front, but up top, those are trees. Uh, so this is, a, this is what our campus looks like. It's really quaint, really pretty. It can walk across it from one end to the other in about 10 minutes. So I don't, you guys have no idea what that's like because it took 10 minutes today to do the PRT. So just to wait in the line for that. So it's really, really small. And uh, if you uh, enjoy pollen, we have a lot of it. Uh, if you enjoy having migraines and uh, allergy issues, please come to Huntsville. I will, man, I will get you hooked up with some pollen. We can do it. It's really, really you love seeing yellow just covering your car. It's fantastic. These are photoshopped. It's normally raining um, <laughs> and really gray. Uh, it's normally not that pretty. Every, once, once every, you know, year, it'll look like that. So I've, I've been to West Virginia before, and I came probably five years ago, and the biggest thing that I noticed was seasons. So in Texas, we have alive and then dead. Like, there is no in-between. You guys actually have, like, red leaves, and uh, that's incredible. I'm, I'm a simple man. So all I have to say is that's our, that's our university. I wanted you guys to kind of get a picture of it. Um, the best thing that we have going for us, I told the leaders last night, is uh, $3 matinee movies. Pretty good. $5 anytime. So if you're looking to take a date to a movie... It's like 10 bucks with popcorn. No big deal. So that's what we have going for us. It's really, it's pretty nice. That's literally it. That's all we have. Yeah. We have a JCPenney and, uh, and a Chipotle. So I'm hoping you're getting a picture of Sam Houston. Uh, a lot of the students that end up there, they're not like you. Uh, you talk to the average Sam Houston student, they're like, well, I thought I should go to school. I don't know. We don't have a really awesome engineering program or people, we're not really motivated to do anything. Which is great because we have a lot of free time to love Jesus and love people because we don't take our studies seriously. <laughs> don't be like us. So that's uh, how I entered Sam, is I, I came to Sam because I wanted to be in the CIA. We have uh, a Matt Damon lookalike up here. Uh, Daddy, Daddy Damon. Uh, if you've ever seen the Jason Bourne movies, that is literally what I wanted to do with my life. I really thought that I, I'm now older than I thought I would live. I thought I would be killed in some form of espionage and some foreign power. That's literally how I thought I like limited the number of friendships I had in high school for fear of terrorists capturing them and using them to get information out of me. No way. That's why I didn't have a girlfriend. No, I just, I was afraid of girls. That's why I didn't have a girlfriend. <laughs> so I came, uh, to, I wanted to be in the CIA. I, uh, I enjoy uh, mental torture more than physical torture. However, I will use physical torture in order to elicit a response. Um, so I got to Sam, and I had no intention of loving Jesus, none whatsoever. Uh, moderately Catholic background. Not, there's nothing wrong with that, just to say that we did not go to church on the reg. And then my mom, uh, they were divorced. Mom and dad were divorced, got remarried. Church didn't recognize the remarriage, so we couldn't take communion. Blah, blah, blah. So we left the church. So I had no intention of looking for God. The extent of my knowledge of religion was, I think there's a something. I don't care. Let's play video games. And so that was like, that was it, okay? So I came to Sam, and... I enjoyed making people miserable, and I don't know if any of you are that guy, but I was, or the girl, girls can make people miserable too, I'm married, so, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, today is my wife and I's uh, four-month uh, anniversary. Yeah, we, uh, we wanted to celebrate with you guys. We thought, what better way can we do than to being with you guys? So, uh, you guys are probably familiar with this story, but I'll just give you mine, is I came to Sam not looking for God, but 
dang it, he found me. And uh, I met a guy on campus, and he had a cool shirt on. I said, hey, man, cool shirt. He said, hey, come with me. And I said, all right, you got spiky blue hair. I don't mind hanging out with you. And we went to this Battle of the Bands, which, by the way, there was zero talent there. Uh, but I met a lot of really cool guys, and through a year of these guys just treating me better than I've ever been treated outside of my family, uh, I came to finally listen to what they're talking about in small groups, that Jesus guy or whoever. And I was like, mm, I'll get, I guess I'll get to know him. And that was in 2004, and uh, ever since then, it's been a process of uh, getting to know him better, and I'm currently on staff with Archive Alpha in Huntsville since uh, 2012. So it's been a fun process of getting to not hate people and uh, love Jesus better. And it's actually really funny that we're, what we're talking about tonight is kind of uh, my life. So you guys, Sam Houston, there it is. It's awesome. All right. No, that's WV. Never mind. So you guys heard from a missionary last week. Is that true? Yeah. yeah. It's pretty awesome. And then, Bo. <laughs> uh, and then before that, uh, you guys were in Corinthians. Is that true? Yes. Okay, great. My information is correct. Because we're going to go back into Corinthians. First Corinthians this week. Okay. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31, and this is a lot of scripture. So uh, because I am uh, not a good speaker, I like to fill it up with scripture. Uh, just kidding. Thank you, Sean. That was funny. Uh, we're just going to look at this because I think it's awesome. So we're going to look at the, the body of Christ tonight. So 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31, bear with me as we go through this good chunk. Just as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit. So as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given to the spirit, one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, how is it speaking, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. Woo! We did it, guys. <laughs> that was a lot. Okay. Actually, not even reading. All right, so this scripture is actually chapter 12. So for all of you uh, Bible scholars, want to be, a good thing to do when you're reading the Bible is read it. Okay, I know that's obvious, right? So here's the deal. You also want to read the chapter before and the chapter after so you get a pretty good picture of what's actually going on. So who knows what's going on in chapter 11? Well, I'll tell you. Good. Thank you for, in your head, you got it. Chapter 11 is pretty much a rebuke. 
you guys are doing this wrong, this is how you're supposed to be doing things, blah, 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 blah. Then we have chapter 12, which is about the body. And then chapter 13, I'm sure everyone's, if you've been to a wedding, you know about chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. So at the end of chapter 12, it says, I will show you the most excellent way. Well, we already know what that is. That's love. So desire the greater gifts, but I will show you a more excellent way, love. So this body of Christ mentality, this healthy body, is in between a rebuke and love. So we're, it's like we're progressing from a rebuke. We're growing. So I, I thought that was interesting. It's kind of cool. Okay. Before we get into the meat of what actually is talked about, let's uh, figure out who wrote it. So we all know Paul, right? Kind of a big deal. Wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. So I would also make uh, the argument for him being the definition of a dramatic conversion. Do we have any uh, church kids? Not a bad thing. Fantastic. I'm not going to roast you. Uh, you guys ever been in a church? And Well, I mean, this is to everybody, okay, but particularly to the church kids. Have you guys ever been in a church service and you hear someone, like, tell their story, their testimony, and it's like, you know, I was a drug-induced or addicted uh, prostitute vomiting everywhere, and then God healed me, and I started levitating and flying, and everyone I spoke to received the gospel, and it was just like, you hear these, like, amazing stories of transformation, and then you're like, I'm just a guy. I, <laughs> I, uh, I didn't really do anything bad. I just was selfish, and then uh, I met Jesus, and it was pretty cool. You guys ever, Charles and I actually used to try to come up with, uh, like, really cool testimonies, like, <laughs> try to, like, beef it up, you know, like, yeah, yeah, well, this one time I was uh, drowning in a ship, and then, I, so just to try to make it cool, <laughs> because I had a wrong idea of what a testimony is. Okay, so have you guys ever wondered why, you might not have, this is kind of out there, you ever wondered why God doesn't send an angel to the middle of the, um, What's the name? The lair. In the middle of the lair, angel. He's hovering three feet off the ground. He's got his stinking flaming sword. His wings are just like, and he's like, the time is now. (laughs) (laughs) Repent or die. You know, he's like, he's like, like, you ever wonder why, like, why not? Like, that would be so much better than having me be awkward in conversation with somebody about, hey, what are you, what's your major? Well, do you know Jesus? You know, like, that's way more impressive. Anybody ever thought that? I'd be like, what? why is God? Yeah, well, I've thought that. And here's the deal. Here's why. There's something that you have that the angel doesn't. And so if you're familiar with uh, your theology and the angels, they've seen too much. They're accountable for too much to be given a chance for redemption. Okay? So all that to say is you all have a story of what it was like before you knew God and then how you met him and how your life has changed. That's why he doesn't use angels. They have no ability to speak into people's life like that, which is pretty cool, which leads me to the idea that there is actually no uncool testimony. Every testimony is amazing because it's of you who you were and then who you became. All that to say, where was I? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All that to say is it's not the level of drama of your testimony that's impressive. It's what you gave up and then what you did after, okay? And so what's impressive to me is when I I meet someone that has no external need of Jesus in their life at all. They've had everything given to them. Great family, great money. Fill in the blank of what you wished you had. They had that, and they still chose him. That's amazing to me. Now, there's no unamazing testimony, but for me, who had had a real external need, I chose Jesus the people that didn't have that external need, they had an internal need and they recognized it. 
that really amazes me. So the fact that we were like, I was just a normal guy, normal girl, and I just, you know, was kind of selfish with my time, and then I met Jesus, and now I'm unselfish. That's amazing. There's, there's no plain testimony. All right, I belabored that point. Okay, however, I do think call, uh, Paul has a pretty cool testimony, and <laughs> even though I just said there's no uncool testimony, so we're going to look at it in Acts 9. This is pretty amazing, as we're still thinking about who wrote this letter. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Okay, so pause there. We're talking about Paul, not Saul. So forgive me for those of you that don't know uh, who Saul is. Saul is actually Paul. Saul equals Paul. Saul was the name of Paul before he actually was uh, loving Jesus. So you can think of Saul as the old flesh. Paul equals new creation. Okay? So meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's loving Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Proper response when you (laughs) see a bright light asking you what you're doing. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand in Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. That's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> okay, so Saul was a uh, persecutor of the church. He, uh, it was his mission to stamp out any form of Christianity that he could. If you love Jesus and you were preaching Jesus over what the Jews believed, he was going to take you out. And it was his mandate and his God-given right, according to him, to come after you. Most of you have not been uh, physically persecuting Christians, okay? So all I have to say, he's got a pretty awesome starting point in the sense of he knows what it is like to first be someone that is anti every part of the body. He hates it. He wants to eradicate it. He wants to kill it. And then you see the conversion of Saul to Paul, so he's very well equipped to speak on what it means to actually honor the body, to say, not say, I have no need of thee. Cool, we tracking? So we're doing all of that, I'm painting this picture to try to get you, who is this man that's speaking to him? I mean, Jesus said, what are you doing? And then he blinded him and said, this is what you're going to do, sucker. It's pretty cool. Okay, so there's two portions. Jesus didn't say sucker, I added that. That's uh, my paraphrase. <coughs> it's, in the, uh, it's in the NLT. Okay, so I divide this scripture into two portions when I read it. And the first portion deals with ourselves, and the second portion deals with others. So if you look at the first portion, uh, it talks about how the hand cannot say that it's not. If I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that stop reason being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. Okay. What this portion is talking about. First chunk. We're going to talk about ourselves. Okay. So who in here has what they would I would call a high opinion of themselves? You think pretty, you know, like I'm pretty good. Me? I'm hey, come on. That's right. Thank you. Honestly, appreciate that. Okay, who uh so uh who here would have what's called a low image of yourselves? You're like, uh, I'm not that great. And everybody else is too afraid to raise their hand. Great. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> okay, so the yeah, you you only fall in two categories when I talk, okay? There's no in between ground. It's uh hot or cold. Just just like the Bible. Okay. So when you have a high image of yourself, it's typically difficult for these people to think they need anything apart from themselves because everything that they need is within them. I'm pretty awesome. I don't need anything. And then if you have a low image of yourself, 
It's difficult for these people to accept any friendship at all because they truly believe that they're not worth anything. You ever meet those people and you try to buy them lunch and they're like, no, no, it's okay. I'm not, I'll just not eat for a year. And you're like, <laughs> it's not a big deal. Let me just buy you food. You know what I mean? Like they're either offended because you're offering or because they can't afford it. You know, like it's, it's just this weird. Anyway, it's just very odd to me. So both of those ideas are uh, not okay. And that's not what we're talking about. So by the end of tonight, Lord willing, through the help of the Holy Spirit, we'll come to a right realization of who we are, okay? And so the only way I know to actually add any value at all to your life is to look at the Bible, what, Bible sa- what the Bible says about people, what it says who we are, where we're from, and what we're doing. So we're going to look at this from a biblical perspective. So we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to look at Genesis 1, 26 through 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea, the birds of the sky, or the lights of the wild animals. God created mankind as his own image. Image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Cool. God made man. That's awesome. Genesis 2, 5 through 7. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface. Then the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So, the biblical perspective is that God handcrafted mankind. Pretty rad. So that right there lets you know the value. If God is real and he's true, he thought it worthwhile to make man. Not flippantly, because he doesn't do anything flippant. So he, he thought, so there we go. We have some value in the Old Testament. Now let's fast forward to the New Testament. And now let's just do a from the Old Testament to the New Testament, let's say from Genesis to Matthew, you've got God preparing a people group through which he may bring his son so that he can lead mankind back into right relationship. We call that rebellion is when you're not living for God and right relationship when you are living for God. So he's, Jesus came to show the way back into right relationship. Cool? So let's look at what Jesus says in Hebrews or what is said of Jesus in Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Considered him who endured such opposition for sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Point number one. I've only got two points, don't worry. Until you view yourself as God views you, you will always be looking to fill a void in your life. So the Bible says that man has value not because we're awesome, but because God says so. He has deemed it worthy for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. That's you. That's me. You might not think that's awesome yet. You might not think you need it. No big deal. I'm telling you that that God thinks you're valuable, and that's where we get our value from is from him, not from the things that we are and things that we do. So until you view yourself as God views you, you will always be looking to fill a void in your life. The party, the relationship, the job, the dream, right? The status. Nothing will ever fill you long term. It will always have to be perpetually cycled over and over and over and over again. Anybody been in that cycle where you're always looking to try to make yourself happy? How exhausting is that? Not, it's like, well, the next thing, maybe it'll be good. And for a little bit, it's great, and then it's down again. It's this roller coaster of emotions over and over and over again. It's, it's just exhausting. So then, if Jesus places value on us, we have inherent value through his pl- what he does of us, what God thinks of us, how then are we supposed to view ourselves? Great, we're valuable. So what? 
So let's look at Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value, value others above yourselves. I want to hone in here on this word humility. I don't know what you guys think of when you think of that word. You guys ever, like, you hear this song, like, oh, Jesus, meek and mild, he just flutters in like a butterfly. And he, like, this whole, like, oh, you th- my sweet grandmother has a picture of Jesus that's, like, he's got, like, low, like flowing golden hair and perfect dental work and, like, a beautiful, like, white man's face and blue eyes. And you're like, that's not Jesus. I don't know why I'm telling you this. He was Middle Eastern, okay? My man. Yeah, he was a Middle Eastern Jew, okay? I'm telling you that because I have a very, very wrong idea of what it means to be humble. I don't know why in my head, maybe you're like me, in my head I think of humble, I think of pious or a monk or like, you know, like, oh, no, 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 thanks, thanks, brother. I don't need anything of substance ever. I, no, I'm a humble man. I'd, it's cold outside. You keep the jacket. I don't want to. <laughs> right, there's no, like, this person that's like, no, no, I'm humble. I'd, I, I won't receive praise outwardly but inwardly. But no, but no, you know, like, like this idea of humility being like just rejecting everything. And that's not what humility is. So what the fat is humility, right? Let's look at that. <coughs> you want to repeat what I said? What the fat is humility. Okay. So we're going to give you, I'm going to give you a definition of humility that I learned at Sam. Okay. So humility is not thinking less of yourself but thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It's a sober sense of reality. Recognizing that your value doesn't come from works, doesn't come from what you can do or what you can offer. Your value comes from who God says you are. That also means that you can accept a compliment when it's given to you. Hey, good job playing guitar, Charles. That was awesome. No, it was the Lord. Pretty sure I saw you. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Being humble doesn't mean you reject all honor that's thrown at you. It just means you know where it's from. Who among you has something that hasn't been first given to you? By what power do you draw breath? Right? You ever think about that? It's kind of crazy. I, it's like, I don't, you ever think like, oh man, I got to think to breathe or I'm going to die. A healthy recognition of what God has given you, your personality, your talents, your gifts, while at the same time recognizing that you were given everything you have. I, I think the reason that living a life of humility is difficult for me is, one, because I'm not very smart, or I'm not as smart as I would like to be. And here's what I mean. I oftentimes, oftentimes, let other people become a standard in my life. So as long as I'm not as bad as Nate, I'm going to do pretty good, you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> As long as I'm, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? As long as you're better than so-and-so, you're doing okay. When the reality is so-and-so is barely making it. So you're barely make, beating the person that's barely making Way to go. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like uh, an NFL team beating a peewee team. Like, well, well done, I guess. Do you want a trophy for that? You're, wow, you're better than man. I'm not ignorant that mankind has fallen, okay? When, I, when we place people as a, as a standard, it's far too low. You're never going to be accountable for much because you can always find somebody worse than, and you can always find somebody better than, right? Well, I'm not like him. Why even try? I'm not Jordan Goody. I'm not ever going to know the Bible like him. Why even try? You, tra- you guys tracking with me? You ever had that thought in your head? I do all the time. 
I always want to. I always want have to have people become a standard. But when we're humble, men and women of God, and we view ourselves rightly, Jesus is the standard, and it's a f- stinking high standard, high standard. So the Corinthian church is pretty interesting. They were given. They received two letters from Paul. Um, so they had a lot of a lot of things that they needed correction on. However, when God begins to correct, it means that He has hope for your future. He doesn't ever just give you a word, ah, maybe I'll throw that out there and see if they take it. It's very deliberate. God doesn't do anything flippantly. So the second letter of Corinthians, uh, chapter 10, verse 12. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. You can always find a standard outside of Jesus that will suit your needs so you can live the way you want to live. Always. Okay, so then what standard do we measure? For the Christian, it's Jesus. That's the only standard that matters. I used to live my life for myself, and everything I did revolved around what I wanted. I was miserable and happy and then miserable again. You guys know the cycle. It's exhausting. So you guys know what motive is? Why do I do the things I do, and who do I do them for? Motive is a great test for who your standard is. Is it you? Is it somebody else? See what I'm saying? Why do I do the things I do? And who do I do them for? When you can answer that, Jesus, you're doing pretty good. So our culture, I think, in America is a culture of hope of reward or fear and punishment. Hope of reward or fear of punishment. Typically, you have people, and I myself fall in this category, where I'm working at something because I want to gain, or I'm afraid of what happens if I don't. If I don't file my taxes, the IRS will come get me. See what I'm saying? (laughs) They're serious, man. Or if I buy this lottery ticket, then then my dreams will be answered. Oh, I have millions. So hope of reward or fear of punishment. That's, you guys agree that's typically how our culture operates? That's why we're going to school so that we can get better jobs. And I'm not saying that's what you're doing. Just like generally, okay? Don't blah, blah, blah. Gotcha. So people wear themselves out. That's my wife. People wear themselves out trying to get something or for fear of failure of whatever it is, which means that they don't have a value outside of themselves. Their self, they are their value. Whatever they're getting, whatever they're receiving, whatever they're not getting, whatever they're not that's what they're always going to be dependent on something whether they get or don't get. Tracking? That's the roller coaster. So, living a life with no long-term satisfaction and it will always leave you less than and it will always hurt those around you. Always. Who here's been hurt? Everybody. Why? Because selfishness costs. There's always a cost to saying my way over, the, over your way. Every time. Somebody will always get hurt. Humility recognizes that worth is inherent because God has placed it there. Therefore, I am no longer bound to perform because it gives me meaning. I am able to act and live because I want to, not because I have to. And that will always leave other people better than because I'm choosing to do it for them, not for me. That's when we value ourselves rightly. Making yourself happy is the most stressful thing ever. When Jesus is your worth, you don't have to perform like a monkey in a circuit. You don't have to because he has said that you're enough. Everything that you do from that point on is a blessing to those around you. It's incredible. I can't, if you haven't experienced the freedom of not having to perform for yourself, it's amazing. Point one, we must view ourselves as Jesus does. We become humble and Jesus-dependent people so that we stop the cycle of using things and people to fill a void in our lives and to prevent hurting ourselves and everyone around us. So if you remember, this portion of Scripture is about the body. So let's just say the community. So Chi Alpha West Virginia University community. We'll just put that in, okay? 
So point two, if we've got to view people, if we've got to view ourselves rightly as God sees us, then obviously point two following that would be we have to see people rightly. Now this is actually quite hysterical because this is the transition of my walk with God. When I first started walking with him, it was great. I loved him, hated people, couldn't stand him. God, why do, people are the worst. Have you ever worked in uh, uh, food services? Oh, are you kidding? If you want to challenge your Christianity, be a waiter. Seriously, work on, wait on anybody. It's the, people are the worst. So that was my walk with God. I was like, okay, God, I'm great, but these other people, they're, they stink. Step two for me was learning that you cannot hate what God died for and say you love him. Cannot. It is a, doesn't make sense. Divide by zero. Can't do it. You cannot hate what God died for and what he loves and say you love him. Point two. You guys okay? We're almost done. I just say that to make you feel better. We're not almost done. Got another hour. <coughs> we must see others as God sees them. Another way to say it is it's a healthy and godly community or family that we're after. That's the context. Not a cult. We're not a cult. So the first uh, thing that Paul says in the second portion of the scripture, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. There's an idea that we have in our, in our hearts sometimes that says, I have no need of thee. When your value is dependent on what, how you perform and not in Jesus, this is typically how you will respond to people. I don't have any, you can't give me anything. I re- I'm not interested. No, no thanks. No thanks. By the way, you guys are amazing. I talked to some uh, of your classmates on campus, and they did not want to be talked to today, like at all. So the fact that you guys are here is incredible. I, I just want to shout out to your team. They're amazing. They're just really great. They just you guys are a product of their love of Jesus, and I'm so glad to be here with you. It's just awesome. I think this is kind of redundant to speak to you about because you guys have a very healthy community based on the 48 hours that I've been here. So that's limited experience, I know, but it's awesome. Okay, blah, blah, blah. The attitude that I have no need of you is not an attitude of the body of Christ, and Paul deliberately gets rid of it here. It's interesting that we talk about this before we talk about love. So you've got to have a right view of people and a right view of yourself before you can actually understand love at all. Pretty interesting. So, here's what, let me unpack this idea, this attitude of, I have no need of you. Okay, God is infinite, which means I will never come to a point of knowing all about him. Not this side of eternity. We can debate what we're going to learn in heaven later. Which means there is not a limit to the things with which he can use to teach me. All of you are able to show me something about God that I have not yet learned or seen. Here's what I mean. Uh, let's throw up the person A, person B, person C. Yes. So I use some real-world examples for you guys. <laughs> so person A, person B, person C. This is great. We have Charles, Sean, and Christopher. Okay, uh, let's give it up for Charles. Yeah. For Sean. And for Christopher. Okay. Now, I've known your staff, actually, all of them, before they started walking with Jesus. So if you want some really awesome stories, I would love to share them with you. They, <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding. They've actually, all <laughs> Charles and I are pretty similar, but uh, Sean and Christopher have pretty much been perfect since the day I met him. It's super annoying. <laughs> they're, like <laughs> they're like, well, I wasn't really that, yeah, I just, you know, Jesus has always been with me. He's just been great. So per, you have Charles, Sean, and Christopher. 
Now, each of them have pretty unique personalities. I think we can agree on that. They're not some of their similarities, absolutely, but not they're not cookie cutter. Okay, and so you have the three of them in a room. That's going to be a pretty funny room. It's going to be pretty hot. If you've ever been around the three of them at a, uh, a dinner situation, the topic of food or movies comes up, it's going to be a pretty interesting conversation because they're pretty much all different opinion-wise. So all that to say is when Charles and Sean are interacting with Christopher, you're going to get a side of Christopher that nobody else can bring out except for Charles and Sean together. Now let's take one of these people out of the equation, okay? One of them. Let's remove Christopher, not because, no, you die, you go to heaven. It's fantastic. Good news, buddy. <laughs> person C is gone. You don't just lose person C. You don't just lose Christopher. You actually lose what Christopher brought out in Charles when they were both around. So it's more than just the one person gone. Now, let's follow that along. Let's put it to the body. When one of you chooses to not to honor the other, you don't just take away from what God could do. You take away from that person loving Jesus as well. The inverse is actually pretty incredible. When you do love each other rightly, when you value yourself as Jesus values you, and you value the body as he tells you to value it, not only do you honor God, but you bring out a godly characteristic that has never before been seen in the history of the world. Pretty rad. <laughs> pretty rad. Okay, here's a fun question. Was Jesus ignorant of who he was dying for? Was love blind? No, he knew who he was dying for. Are you kidding me? Forgive them. They know not what they do. Name a time in the scriptures where Jesus was confused. Oh, I don't know, God. <laughs> Those Pharisees are so smart. <laughs> ah. He was not ignorant of fallenness. He wasn't. It was in spite of. Love in spite of their sin. Uh, do I have any, any cynics in the room? I'm a huge cynic. Jordan, my man. What's your name? Logan, my man, my fellow cynic. So cynics, we're always looking for what's wrong. When I enter a room, uh, I, the worship set, I'm like, oh, well, I really could have worshiped God if the, you know, the gains weren't so loud or if the speaker was tilted right. Or We're always finding what's wrong with something. That's not the uh, model of Jesus. He's never looking for what's wrong. He's looking for what's right. So when I say that mankind has inherent value, what I mean is they have the stamp of eternity on them. Everybody. So when you don't value the thing that God has made, you're not just not valuing them, you're not valuing God. Super heavy. Sorry. <coughs> okay. So redeemed skepticism. Now this is really awesome. You're no longer looking for what's right or what's wrong. You're looking for what's right. You walk into a room and you don't immediately see problems. You see how you can minister. You see what God has done in this person. Redeemed skepticism is amazing. It's what we like to, so like to say, love finds a need and meets it. When your skepticism, when your attitude has been redeemed, it doesn't matter where you are, you can always see the touch of God, and you can always know how to help minister. Pretty cool. That's part of a healthy body. So here's the deal. We already talked about um, people are the worst. They're just the worst. I am chief among them. Most of you probably wouldn't have liked me five years ago. You probably don't like me now, but definitely wouldn't have liked me five years ago. Uh, who remembers uh, adolescence? It was awesome for me. I had a huge head, uh, a really skinny neck, and my body didn't really, like, it just didn't work. I'm like, oh, growing pains were the worst. Adolescence was very painful for me. Some of you might have been the person in high school that was like, you were perfect physical specimen at 18, and I hated your life, and I wanted you to die. 
I had awful teeth. I had to wear headgear. Okay, you got to understand, like, genetics were not kind to me. I, I, it was been a rough life. Here's the deal. Growth isn't mechanical. It's organic. And it's very specific that Paul is using these terms, hand, eye, foot, to talk about the body. It's organic growth. So what that means is sometimes growth is messy because it's not a factory, and God is not looking to produce clones. He's not. He's looking to use you, your personality redeemed to bring out something that no one else has seen before. That's incredible. It's unique. So the, the language that Paul uses in this passage is organic on purpose. It's cultivated, and you only get it when you have the right view of yourself and the right view of others. The kingdom of God operates by trust and love. The kingdom of God operates by trust and love. The kingdom of this world operates by hope of reward and fear of punishment. So, a principle of a kingdom of God that operates in hope and love is that of grace. Which means, I know that you are spiritually pimply and ugly to look at. But... That was a funny sentence to say. <laughs> However, I'm going to give you the dignity to grow and not stifle that growth by always telling you what you're doing wrong. I'm willing to endure the hardships of your awful personality so that you might know Jesus and help someone else to know him, so that you might bring out the quality of God's character that no one else has seen before. Cool? Okay. So we can look back to Genesis and see that mankind was made in the image of God. What does that mean? It means that you've never met a mere mortal in your entire life. There is no insignificant person on this planet. And here's the idea. There are no little people, no little places. doesn't matter where you go. doesn't matter who you talk to. They are significant because God has said it, not because of who they are or what they can offer. They are significant because he made them, and when they fell, he died for them. He brought them back. He didn't just leave them as they were. And that's why he's so different than me. People have inherent significance because God says so. So, if we need to have to view people rightly, and we have to learn to be gracious and honor them as God does, how do we do that? Well, it just starts with how you see people. And the only way that I know that you can see people rightly is to have a real encounter with Jesus. A real encounter with Jesus. Not as dramatic as Paul, but just as significant, where things are never again the same. We're almost done. For real this time. So when Paul begins to list apostles, prophets, and teachers, in my mind, I begin to list that as a list of importance. First, apostles, then prophets, then teachers. So first we have the worship leaders, and then we have the preachers, and then we have the greeters and the tithers. And the it's not a list of importance. It's a list of historical what happened first. First there were apostles, the ones that came before. Then there were the prophets, the one, well we're talking New Testament here, then the ones that declared the way of God. Then were the teachers, the ones that explained the way of God and how to do it. Then there were the helpers. You see what I'm saying? It's a, it's a progression, and they're all necessary. All of them were, which means all of you are necessary, which comes to the idea that we need each other. We need all of it. We need the worship. We need the people laughing. We need the preaching. We need the lights. Like, we need everything. There's no aspect of community that you don't need. And it's real interesting is when you say, I have no need of you, that's what you're saying. It's you're saying, I can do without God in your life. And that's scary. No little people, no little places. Worship team, you guys can come back up.
So when you say I have no need of you, in an attitude or in your heart, you're denying the infiniteness of God and refusing to let him use what is in front of you in order to speak to you. You really believe the lie that there are insignificant people. So, let's sum up this nonsense. We need a right view of ourselves that only comes from an encounter with Jesus. We need to view people as they are, made in the image of God, with the mark of eternity upon them. That's what a healthy community looks like. And to be honest with you, that's what I see when I'm here. I see a healthy community that loves each other. It's really wonderful. But we've got to have a group of men and women who are more concerned with one another's needs, joys, and sufferings than their own. A group of people looking to serve, not looking to get. That's how you change a university. That's how you change a world. The only way any of this is possible is to have an encounter with Jesus. So, have you been valuing others based on what they can give you? Have you, you have self-loathing in your heart? Are you always the person that makes a mistake and, ah, I did it again. I'm never going to learn. Do you hate everyone around you? Are you exhausted when people treat you poorly? That all stems from not viewing yourself rightly and viewing people as God does. Cool? All right. Take it away, guys.